The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your uh, love for us and the way that you have uh, made yourself available to us, uh, both through word and sacrament uh, within the church. Now, Lord, as we take a look uh, particularly at your sacrament, we ask uh, that you would help us and equip us to worship you. Uh, both in spirit and in truth. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, so we are going to take two weeks. Uh, this week and next week we'll talk about uh, a little mini-series called What's So Holy About Communion? Um, and uh, because it is a uh, critical and integral part of our, uh, of our worship experience as we come to worship each week, uh, Holy Communion. We usually do a biblical exposition, uh, and we'll get back to that uh, after the annual meeting, which will be on the 26th. But I just thought it would be a good idea, and we actually are going to look at Scripture, uh, so don't think I'm not going to... Um, it would actually be really bad, wouldn't it, if we uh, had one of our, our foremost and most important uh, cornerstones of our worship and, and didn't take a look uh, at what Scripture has to say about it. But um, I kind of had this idea over the, over the break, and, uh, and the reason for that is that we went to uh, a couple of uh, different church services that weren't Episcopalian uh, with some family. Actually, we went to one and then talked to uh, cousins about another, and Luke, who just left, uh, learned that uh, his cousin's church only had uh, communion once a month, and that there were some that only had communion once a once every three months and Luke said well that's just sad <laughs> you know and I just you know what struck me about that if you know if you know Luke I mean I'm kind of glad he, he's just he's walked out because he, he's, he's an incredible kid super super smart but not a lot of focus and and um, and not a lot of uh, really like I mean coming to church is, is tough I mean they really you probably can get it being the pastor's kid puts a little different dynamic uh, on it and and um, and so I was amazed really to hear Luke say in that conversation I mean I love communion and and that was that was really heartwarming for me uh, when Luke comes up to communion uh, he hadn't done it much lately but he'll get the he'll get the wafer and he'll hold it up like this and break it uh, like uh, like he sees the uh... so uh, so we're going to kind of start at the beginning thinking about uh, communion and and I you know I want you to know like some people just absolutely revere communion I mean say you you can say what you want from the pulpit you can take you know if you just took three minutes that'd be just fine but don't cut out communion and, and some people are. Um, are, are sort of the opposite. They don't really know why. Why do we come? There's something to it, but there's you know I really just want to hear a good sermon. So what I I, I kind of fall more on that end of things, and it's really my uh, education, uh, much more than my experience that has uh, given me such a profound love for communion, and I'm grateful that the Lord called me uh, into uh, the Episcopal Church. I mean I was raised in the Episcopal Church, but but probably would have wandered uh, from the Episcopal Church had I not felt a very distinct uh, calling back in. And the reason, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons, I'm so thankful for, for this, is because the Episcopal Anglican 
ethos, the liturgy, we balance word and sacrament. We are a church of word and sacrament. Not some churches are sort of word heavy, and and they're you know quarterly sacrament once a month. Um, uh, maybe they call it an ordinance, not not that. And then some are very, you know, like Roman Catholics, very sacramentally heavy, but not much on the Word. And I just think if we do it right, we're Word and Sacrament. And uh, our architecture says it, our history says it, everything about that, uh, and I love that. So uh, we talk a lot about the Word, so we're going to take a little bit about uh, the sacrament. So what is a sacrament? What is a sacrament? From your communion class, I mean, your confirmation class, what did you learn? Yes, the confirmation teacher uh, has told us uh, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Uh, as best I can remember, that is a definition that dates back to the 4th century from St. Augustine, uh, affectionately known to us as St. Augustine. Um, and, um, but St. Augustine said uh, that it is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Uh, it, it is essential to the life of what we would call the visible church, word and sacrament. Um, so let me, uh, let me take this just to say that there is a uh, section in the back of your prayer book that they, I, I, for whatever reason, I have to think it's intentional, put in very small print. Um, under a section entitled Historical Documents. It is called the uh, 39 Articles of Religion. The 39 articles are the theological statements upon which uh, our history, our church, the Church of England and, and then the Episcopal Church in America was, were founded. And, um, and they are really worth your time, although... Um, Again, perhaps intentionally, we haven't updated them uh, in, in terms of our language, and so they can be a little uh, archaic to read the, the, just the language itself, but the theology is quite uh, robust, and I commend it to you. Uh, if you have time to turn back to page 100, I mean, 867 uh, and 866 in your, uh, in your common prayer, and it, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping at night or something like that, that'd be great to, to go through. Um, but they're they're really wonderful. But they were very anti-Catholic. They were sort of anti-Catholic, uh, anti-Roman Catholic, and um, and 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 understandably so because they were in the middle of breaking from from that. Most of these were written by Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop, uh, who was sort of responsible with Henry VIII for splitting uh, from the Church of, the Church of England from the Church of Rome. Uh, and so in that sense, I mean, we, you know, when we talk about purgatory in, in Article 22, the Romish doctrine concerning purgatory. So, I mean, there, it is a little inflammatory in that sense. Um, and thankfully, I think we've swung back from, from that and can appreciate the Roman Catholicism without always embracing it. Um, but, but what they have to say, particularly about the sacraments, I think, are, are quite, uh, quite important. Uh, not to mention the, the person of Christ and the justification of humanity and uh, et cetera. But um, so Article 19 uh, says this, speaking of the church, the visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful people in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments be duly administered according to Christ's ordinance. Uh, and so that is, uh, it is word and sacrament. Uh, that, that is a part of what we are um, founded on. 
And, and you think of the visible church. I mean, the invisible church, wherever two or three are gathered, you can have church at the grocery store. Wherever you are, uh, that's where the church is because the Holy Spirit lives in you. But the visible church is where we gather as a faithful body. Uh, the Spirit is among us because He's promised to be uh, with us and we are um, preaching the Word of God and the sacraments are being duly administered according to Christ's ordinance. Um, so we said that the uh, sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Now a sign, if you think about it, a sign isn't the thing. A sign points to the thing. If someone was a newcomer to Church of Our Savior and they pulled into the front of our parking lot and gathered around the sign on the road and were ready uh, to, for church and were wondering where everybody was, that would be pretty crazy, right? No, we know that that's not the thing. It just points you to the thing. That's the sign. Uh, and, 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 you know, any sign is that same way. And the sacraments, as signs, are that way. They are not the thing. Um, and, and so, um, you know, the reason we, actually why many people bow to the altar is that tradition started not bowing to sort of the place of reverence, but bowing to the sacrament. Because the sacrament is the body and blood of Christ, and if it is reserved, and we know that we have some reserved sacrament because the light is on the, in the candle. And so, it, it, according to that tradition, proper would not be to bow to the altar, but to bow to the sacrament. A little strike to the side. I, I think I've told this story before, when I, I, and, I, and I've told you before, I'm, I'm kind of Protestant, like I, that's, not my, that's not my leaning, but um, so when, after my, my, the end of my tenure at my first church, uh, St. John's Church, in, uh, right outside of Charleston, John's Island, and I knew I was headed to the cathedral in, in Birmingham, and we were interviewing this uh, fellow, uh, I mean they were interviewing, but I got a chance as the, the assistant to kind of talk to him about um, how it was going to go. And, um, and I had the chance to show him the nave. We walked in the, it's a separate nave, separate building like, like ours from the office buildings. And, um, and I walked him in and he said, where, is, where do you keep the reserved sacrament? Uh, I said, well, it's actually, in, it's in the uh, sacristy right back there. And he went back there and he bowed deeply down to it and, and crossed himself. And I was like, <laughs> What are you doing? I just couldn't. That's just so not part of my um, my my piety. But but he understood not to bow to the altar, but to bow to the sacrament, because that is the that is from that understanding where Christ is residing, the body and blood uh, of Christ. Now I I don't think that's necessary, but that's the theology. It is. Um, uh, and I, in fact, I would say, again, it's a sign, it's not the thing. We bow to Christ. Now, if, you, if it's just in your sort of DNA and you, and you bow to the sacrament or you bow to the cross, like, it's okay. I don't think that's going to make or break anything. But I don't do it because it's, it's not, it's a sign. Now, I do believe the Holy Spirit's on it. And we're actually going to talk more about real presence, the real presence of Christ upon the elements next week. Um, but... And, and, and let me say, you may not agree with me about some of these things, and that's okay. Um, but signs aren't the thing. They point to the thing. I mean, think about like old photographs. Old photographs, in that sense, are sacramental, right? You love them. You, they, they bring up dear memories. But it's just a piece of paper. 
right? It's just it has an image on it that helps you recall something that is very dear to you. But and and you like I have a picture of my grandfather standing in front of his um, P fifty one Mustang uh, fighter jet from World War II in my office. I love that picture. It speaks to me of strength and of family heritage, of integrity, um, and yet that's not my granddad. You know, it's a piece of paper, but it, it is sacramental, right? It's an outward and visible sign of, an, of something that really is an inward and spiritual um, grace in, in that sense, not, not in a salvific sense, but something that's very dear to me. And, and the sacrament is that way. It is uh, both baptism and, uh, and Holy Communion are signs of the thing that they are pointing to. And the sign themselves may be very dear. Frankly, I love our sign. I think it's beautiful, right? But it's not to be worshipped. I love that picture, but it's not my great. I don't love, you know, I, I'm not looking forward to getting to heaven so I can see that picture. I'm going to get to, you know, I'll see my grandfather. So, um, so that, that is uh, important to remember. And so when we revere the sacrament, we need to, be, we need to know what we're doing. Um, the uh, I, anyway, I, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, maybe more questions about that going forward. Sacraments, outward signs of inward grace. In the same way, sacraments aren't to be gathered around and revered, but point us to the one who is to be revered. Now, here's controversy for you. How many sacraments are there? Either two or seven. E- either two or seven. I heard somebody say seven. I heard somebody say two. And you, uh, as, a, as an ordained uh, um, father of the church, are saying uh, either two or seven. And why is that, Ted? Why is that? Uh, why is it either two or seven? I tend to lean towards seven. Okay. That's just my personal preference. Sure. Um, what is the distinction? What What would be before we talk about what What would be this? Why Why is it? Uh, what is the distinction between two or seven? The The two. Uh, Baptism and, and Holy Eucharist, those two sacraments are the ones that seem to have been endorsed by Christ during his lifetime. Yes, so baptism and the Eucharist, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, are the ones ordained by Christ in his lifetime. Yes. And then... And then the, the others, confirmation, confession, healing, and so forth, Yes. Uh, have or came to be considered sacraments um, because they because of their the importance attached to them, yes spiritual importance attached to them but there was disagreement as to it was almost as if there are two tiers of sacraments yes yeah, so there has been disagreement so two sacraments baptism and communion or if we consider the five other sacraments confirmation marriage ordination reconciliation or penance and unction, extreme unction, last rites. Um, for, my, for my friends who have come from a Roman Catholic background, is that, am I getting those right? Get, yeah. yeah? Okay. So we would consider, I would consider uh, that there are two sacraments and five sacramental rites. All of those things, ordination, marriage, confirmation, those are sacramental and are to be held with great importance uh, in the church. And I just personally made the distinction because they're not, uh, they're not, um, or I fall to the philosophy. It's not like I came up with the distinction. Um, I fall to the understanding that the, the sacraments are ordained by Christ, given as, as an intersection, sort of a thin place uh, between uh, Christ and 
and humanity. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, again, if you're a seven sacrament person, like, that's great. Good for you. That's so awesome. Um, I don't, I, that is not, a, uh, I'm not going to make any waves uh, over that. But I, um, which, so I would say it's not a big deal to, to argue over. Um, but again, our, what, what are we saying when we say marriage is a sacrament? In fact, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, we can make a bunch of money for the church. If I was out here every Saturday on the riverbank giving out, you know, wedding bl- blessings, we could. That would solve a lot of problems, actually. But it's, it is a, um, it is a sacrament. I, I mean, I've said this, but it's a sacrament. Dull right. I mean, you know, like it's a, it's, it's a, um, it is a, so as I, as I understand the sacraments, I would say it is a, it is a sacramental right. But as, as something that I'm not going to just dispense for us to make money, it's a sacrament. Like I'm not going to, it is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Yes, Kay. So what Kay said is she's always understood that those two sacraments are required for salvation, and um, and the you know if you don't get married, you don't get ordained, you know you're still saved. So uh, now I would I would hasten to clarify uh, if someone is you know gives their life to Christ and gets in a car accident on the way to their baptismal font, uh, they're you know they're just fine. If they happen to be in a tradition that that and they never to end up taking Holy Communion, they'll be just fine. But they are, as we're going to talk about, meet what we call a means of grace. And, um, and so, not only are they a, 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 um, a symbol of the thing, but they actually are a transfer of grace to us. A, they are themselves the giving of grace. And again, we, have, we want to be clear and, and understand what we're saying and what we're not saying when we talk about uh, means of grace. But this is what Article 25 called of the sacraments says uh, that they are. It says they are sure and certain witnesses and effectual signs of grace and God's goodwill towards us. Let me make, I may have actually copied that down wrong, so let me go back to the... Um, no, they are certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace and God's goodwill towards us, by the which He doth work invisibly in us, and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in Him. All right. Now you're not looking at that, and you're like, well, you lost me at doth. So, um, uh, they, they are witnesses. They are effectual signs of grace. They tell us about God's goodwill towards us, and He's working invisibly in us through them. Um, not only enlivening or quickening, but strengthening and confirming our faith in Him. So they're declarations to us. They're signs. They're witnesses of God's grace. They are, uh, that is the gospel, that Jesus has died in our place and risen to offer us eternal life, that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And they testify to us, like uh, when you take communion, you should remember that this is telling me that God is good and He is for me. Right? It, is, it is a testament of God's, a declaration of God's goodwill towards us. The, the sacraments remind us not just that God is king, but that God is kind. 
and that He is loving and gracious and generous, and He wants to be with us. That's that, that's what baptism is all about, isn't it? It's 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 you know as as Trent preaches today in the in the sermon, we talk about the baptism of Jesus. The the, the sacrament of baptism is all about the fact that um, that that God has opened Himself to us and declared us to be His children through the merits and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, they are means of grace, uh, and this is why I think Luke, although he couldn't. Articulate it. This is why I think Luke would say, I love communion. Because even though he can't articulate it in his nine-year-old brain, uh, he understands in his nine-year-old heart that God's doing something in him through communion. And as a Protestant, that makes me... I, I can't contain that in, in a sort of concise theology, and that makes me a little squirrely, right? Um, but, but I think it's true. I think something real is happening in baptism. It's not just a symbol. It's a means of grace. Does that mean they're saved and don't mean... To, I, I mean, I've I heard a, a, a guy in... in um, it just always stuck with me. In my freshman year Spanish class telling a girl, oh, I'm a Lutheran, so, which is awesome because I just need to be baptized when I'm a kid and I'm good for, for life. <laughs> Little did I know then that Martin Luther would have stood up from his grave and said, <laughs> I know where you're headed, young man. So... Um, Repent. Um, there is more to it. Uh, there is, as a means of grace, there is more to it than just bread and wine. And uh, it, it does it, it does add to our sensory experience of worship. So if it's just auditory, that's one thing. If it's but if you're tasting, smelling, standing, kneeling, um, it, you know it, it is. Uh, there's more to it. But what, what is, what more is there to it? So let's turn uh, to Mark chapter 14. Turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, uh, as your phone may indicate. Or just listen to Mark chapter 14. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb... His disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, and there, and there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. You know, eating together was, is still, but was for them a huge sign of fellowship and communion and peace. And so to say one of you who's eating with me will betray me, would have, it, it set their alarms off. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it I? The way we would say that is, it's not me, is it? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. 
For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Of course, he's talking about Judas. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they, you can hear a lot of our liturgy right, right there in that original. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. First thing, and this, uh, this is probably more than you expected, is reading from the Scriptures about the, the Last Supper. Um, the first thing to, to make sure we understand is a Passover meal. Passover, what do you know about the Passover? Where, where does that originate in the Jewish liturgy and history? The Exodus, right? So, Nine plagues have befallen the Egyptians who were holding the Israel uh, in slavery, the Israelites in slavery. And, um, and the Lord said through Moses there will be a tenth, and it will be the Passover of the Lord. And so you are, uh, he's, he's going to take the firstborn of humanity and livestock. And, um, and, you know, just an awful day of judgment. Just an awful, sort of a, a mini-judgment day where not everyone was to be judged, but all the first... I mean, it's just a really awful um, judgment day. And, and all the other, uh, all the other uh, plagues, the, the, the Egyptians were affected, but the, the place where the Israelites were was not affected. But this plague would be different. Everyone was going to be affected. But the Lord gave the Israelites who would choose to be faithful a, an out, a way out from under this terrible judgment. They were to take a lamb, and for two weeks they were to bring it into their home. They were, it would kind of become a pet. It was an un, had to be unblemished. They couldn't have a, you know, a scar or a limp or something like that. It had to be an unperfect lamb. They would kind of, you know, in that sense, get to know it. The kids would play with it and such. And then on the night of the Passover, they would have to kill it that which was known to them, dear to them. And they would take the blood of the lamb and they would put it over the doorpost. And then they would roast the lamb and eat it in haste, along with unleavened bread, ready to go. And as the Lord came through, He would look for the firstborn. And he would, the wrath of God against sin would be taken out on the firstborn. And yet... If he saw the blood of the Lamb, uh, he would pass over. He would say, judgment has already happened upon this house. So that every firstborn son could look at that Lamb and say, he died, so I didn't have to. Pretty significant. A lot of gospel, as we understand it, in the Passover. 
And in fact, Jesus in the Last Supper, and as we every in the Lord's Supper, it's a Passover meal. He's saying, judgment has already happened. If I see the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of your heart, then you can look to that Lamb and say, He died so that I don't have to. Jesus is taking the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, uh, this Passover meal, and procuring it, giving it full, I wouldn't say different meaning, but new meaning, fuller meaning, to say it has actually always been pointing to me. This is my body, taking the bread, breaking it. This is my body, which is broken for you. And this is my blood poured out for you. My blood of the covenant, a new covenant of love. Do unto others as I love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? He died for us, poured himself out for us. So the bread and wine are the, are the um, pointing us to the lamb of sacrifice. The Passover meal was also pointing us to the lamb of sacrifice. It's pointing us to Jesus Christ. So what does Mark do then after declaring and showing us that this is a Passover meal? He places the meal, the institution of the meal, this is my body, this is my blood, he places the meal right between Judas and Peter. So you have the Passover, and then you have Judas, then you have the meal, then you have Peter. You have Judas, uh, Jesus saying, one of you is going to betray me. One who dips his bread, the morsel of bread, in the, in the dish with me. That's Judas. The, so you think about Mark's, or any of the Gospel writers, their, their primary audience, who would have been the, the villain, the ultimate villain of the early church? Judas! The one who gave the Lord to the enemy. The one through whom Jesus was handed over. The enemy of the church. Who was the great hero of the church? Peter. The great apostle. The one who declared... Now, he had some problems. Don't, don't get me wrong. But he declared Jesus to be the Christ. He stood up at Pentecost in the power of the Spirit. And 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. Mark would have known all this, and he places the meal of sacrifice right between the ultimate villain and the ultimate hero, as if to say, this is for everyone. No matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, this is the meal. You notice that G Judas hasn't left yet in this, when Jesus gives this meal. It is for everyone. And it is, in that sense, a demonstration, a declaration of the grace of God. Which, it still should be. One of the wonderful things about our liturgy is that we do communion every week. We get this wonderful grace every week. One of the terrible things about our liturgy is that we do this thing every week. And so, it kinda, you know, if we're not careful, it kind of gets rote, doesn't it? And you just kind of do it because that's what we do. And we forget what it declares to us. Yes, Katie? It, it can tend to get broke until you're away and there is no communion. Until you're away and there is no communion. Now, let me say, thank you, because I, I, I have it in my mind to say this. There is a, a very definite reason why we do morning prayer on the fifth Sunday. 
A secondary reason would be because it's a, it's a traditional service of the church. It's a great service. A lot, of us, a lot of you grew up with morning prayer. It's a great service. But the more important reason, at least in my mind, is so you miss communion. To, to, to say on a quarterly basis, wait a second. I, that's just sad. You know, like, I, admit, I want that declaration. That's why we do it. And it, someone said it, um, oh, I think, you know, you're doing this so that, so that we won't idolize it. Well, you shouldn't idolize it. But, no, the, I want you to miss it. I want you to see how profound it is. Um, uh, and, and what an important declaration is. That's why we do it. Now, I think people like morning prayer service, and, and, and although I, people have told me they miss communion. And I, my response to that is, good. I'm glad you miss communion. So come, come next week ready to take it. So anyway, that's what, yes, Ted. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that attitude has changed so much because in, in colonial North Carolina, when the Church of England uh, clergy were conducting services, uh, just as it was in our old prayer book, there was great emphasis on preparation for com- being prepared for communion. Yes. Being worthy to take yes. communion. And sometimes if the minister would announce ahead of time that they were going to have communion, some of the parishioners would uh, beg him not to do it because they were afraid it would put their souls in danger. Yes. Because they weren't worthy. Yes, and actually, because it, probably because they've been reading 1 Corinthians 11, uh, which might be a good thing for us to do. So let me turn to 1 Corinthians 11. The first part of 1 Corinthians 11 talks about why women should wear head coverings in church. <laughs> that is a uh, cult that was uh, because of the culture that they were in, and I think there has been some misinterpretation uh, from that language uh, that has been passed down to us over the years. Nevertheless, uh, the in verse 17, uh, St. Paul did, begins then to talk about uh, the Lord's Supper. He said, In the following instructions, I do not commend you. In other words, you're getting this wrong, folks, and I'm here to tell you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. In other words, some people are you know, giving themselves the best seats in the house. They're setting themselves above uh, other people. And when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating... Each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, you hear our liturgy right there. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread 
or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 30, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So, I would imagine that my Baptist brethren who say they only, who only do communion once a quarter say, we're actually putting it much higher than you people are because we're giving our people time to prepare themselves. Let me be a fit partaker. Let me be a fit partaker. Um, it's different ways of doing things. I don't think they're wrong. I don't think they're right. I don't think... I, I, it's just different ways of doing things. I'm glad we do it the way we do it. I love the sacrament, and I think it's an important part. It, it actually makes the, um, not the minister, even though I, we work real hard on what we say for the word and the sermons, it makes uh, the minister's um, last word not the final word. It makes the declaration of the gospel given to you. Martin Luther said of the sermon, uh, said of the communion, it's a sermon in your mouth. No, I actually, I tried to find that quote. I couldn't. So I, I, I remember Martin Luther saying uh, that. The, um, so th- this is a lot. This is a lot to, to chew on. Um, but the thing we want to remember is when we come to communion, we want to remember that it is, it is a sermon. It is a, a declaration, a sign of the gospel that Jesus has died for us. And by His body and blood has made us right with Him, with God, so that we may have fellowship with Him and have eternal life. In that sense, it is, a, a, it is necessary uh, for salvation, or it points us to that which is necessary for salvation. Um, take the discipline. Take the time to have the discipline. I mean, when you see when... Um, when, when Trent or I, before we are going to prepare communion, we take time in our, in our prayer desk to, to pray. And what I'm saying, and I don't know what Trent's saying, but I imagine it's something along the same lines, is, Lord, I am completely unworthy to stand before Your elements, but I am made worthy by Your, by your Spirit, by Your Word, Your declara- declaration. Work in me and work um, through me. It's essentially what I'm praying. Yes, Jackie. Um, which, to my yeah, which brings a question that I've always wondered, because I really enjoy right two much more than right one, but why did they exclude the prayer of humble access from right two? Because that's yeah. a beautiful prayer. Yeah, they didn't ask me about that. I can promise you. <laughs> well, I thought maybe you the prayer of humble access is the one we are not worthy so much as to gather the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Oh, that is the gospel. Why did they exclude it? Because, I'll tell you, it, they didn't like, people don't like the idea that we're unworthy. But Lord, have mercy. If you're worthy, what's the God? What do you need the gospel for? Yeah. Absolutely. There's no shame in that. That's the thing. They want to get away from shaming you. Oh, you're unworthy. And that certainly has, the church has used that in that way. But there is, there is only an honest diagnosis and, and this glorious invitation of mercy. Um, and, so, um, and, and so that's why they cut it out. 
It's offensive. Yes, Carmen. Also, what makes communion kind of have different meanings for a lot of different people is that at the time that it was set out as the wine and the unleavened bread, that is what Jewish people encountered all the time, mm -hmm. desert people particularly, because mm -hmm. unleavened bread lasts without rotting mm -hmm. for a month in your camel pack. Where, and the wine is good as long as you keep it away from the mill for the blood of meats and that kind of thing. And so they do get stale. Some of those it? younger groups, I've seen younger interpretations mm. where they hand out potato chips and soda, with the idea that it's every time you encounter this natural part of your life, you're supposed to be thinking of God and being at your table and a part of you and you a part of Him. Yes. And because. We don't have wine at every meal, and we don't eat unleavened bread, except unless you go to a Jewish friend's house during Passover. Um, we aren't acquainted with unleavened bread, and it makes a real difference in how you see the symbol. Because yeah. our culture has moved so far away from the way it was initially yeah. established. In one sense, I mean, my first reaction is almost visceral when you say potato chips and Soda. But it really is a matter of the heart. I mean, I think that someone can encounter... Because God is far more gracious with His Spirit than I am. Uh, if, it, if I were God, I would be like, get those potato chips out of my face. So, um, um, anyway, it is time to go to church. And, uh, and I hope that you will come and hear a very fine sermon from our associate rector. And, um, and come back next week and hear about what is actually happening on the table. And in your hearts. God bless you.